Well, we all have a daily routine, don't we? Let me ask you just a, just a question, just a pop quiz here. Spiritually speaking, as far as spiritual efficiency, what was the difference between those two? Not much, was there? No. One was a lot more cheerful. You'd like to set by one. You probably wouldn't like to set by the other. But both of them were kept busy by their routine. What we want to get to tonight, and we've got 42 verses to cover tonight, but what we want to get to is how God can interrupt our routine and show us himself giving us a new view of the, view of the world and a new ministry. Now, if you turn, please, to John chapter 4. We're going to read about the woman in the well at the well and then so. I love this book. I love this passage. This is such a great passage. Now, I'm going to do, as I did last week, just kind of a running commentary. Not three points in a poem or whatever. Just a running commentary to explain these scriptures so that you get the full gist of the background of the scriptures. When therefore Jesus knew that the Pharisees... This is John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore Jesus, when the, therefore the Lord, I'm sorry, knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, that was probably, I don't, I don't know why that was, but that was probably to avoid, you know, the, you know, somebody being baptized by Jesus going around saying, so who baptized you? <laughs> Guess who baptized me? You know, it's not in the person who baptizes, obviously, it's in the act itself. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Remember, he was at Cana in Galilee. That was the first time he was there. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I want you to see the path here. Remember what Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. It's just the steps he's already taken here. He's been in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and he's going on. Okay. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. He was tired. One of the great things about this story is it is just so human. We just sang, didn't we? Your most awesome work was done by the frailty of your son. And when we get a look at God's frailty, it draws us to him. It puts him near us, in other words. And that's exactly the gist of this story. He knows what our lives are like. He's traveled there. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be weary. He knows what it is to be thirsty. It says... Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now, there's an argument as, as, as to what actual time of the day it was. If figured in Roman time, that would either be six in the morning or six at night. Uh, figured in Jewish time, it would be high noon. Uh, most commentators figure this Jewish time. Um, because it is a time when very few people would go to the well. He would naturally take a break send his disciples into town for some lunch and so on and so forth. So, so we'll go with that. <clears throat> but it doesn't matter. The story stays the same. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
Now I want you to see, Jesus, Jesus approaches three different people in the, in the opening of John. We've already seen one, Nicodemus. And he approaches them all differently. Nicodemus was an intellectual. And so Jesus approached him by giving him an answer he couldn't fathom. Because it engaged him. The woman of Samaria is not an intellectual. She's a woman who's doing the regular stuff of life. She's a woman who approaching the well, seeing a Jew, knowing that there are absolutely three barriers against her. Now watch this. There is the barrier of race. Jews hated Samaritans. They looked down upon them. They were some, uh, they were some mongrel race. And so all, uh, she would have been uh, faced this barrier of nationality. There was the barrier of a man and woman. And of course the woman back at that time would have felt inferior. And there was the barrier, as we will soon see, of someone who had an immoral life. And she would have supposed that this man did not. So she faced a huge barrier and Jesus saw that barrier and guess what he did to break down that barrier? He asked her a favor. One of the best things you can do to get close to someone is let them do something for you. Let them know that you need them in a very practical way. This week, uh, Orlando and, and Don Peterson and, and myself and several others are going out to uh, meet a delegation in California, a delegation of the official Church of China. And I've been kind of fretting about this. I'm a little bit intimidated, to, to be quite honest with you. Uh, this business of the distributed church has its uh, fun moments and its intimidating moments. This is, the, this is a part of the the church of China. And, and I've been worrying about all the barriers. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little white boy from Shelby, Ohio. I, I, I come from the Midwest. I don't know anything about Chinese people. I, I don't know anything about um, the differences between, between the church under communism and the church uh, uh, under capitalism, or not very much. I don't know very much about the cultural differences. And I was, I was really concerned about all those barriers. I was really identifying with what we were studying. But Yesterday, got a call, and the and the and the the person who was put the Chinese person who's putting all this together said, "Would you would you do something for us, Doctor Hunter? Would you would you officiate uh, at communion? We're at the final session, I would like for you and the and the head of the delegation from China to co-officiate communion together." You know what happened? I totally relaxed. You know why? Because I know how to do communion. I, I, I know how, and, and, it, and, it, and it said this to me, we don't, we, we go in having more unity than differences because we are both in Jesus Christ. And so let's not deal with the differences right up front. Let's deal with the one who answers our needs. Let's deal with what we have in common. And that's what Jesus did with this woman. You know what we got in common? We both need water right now. And I'd appreciate it if you give me some. And she relaxed. You can tell she relaxed by the length of her answers. Now, it says, she, he said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, when I read this a few times, I thought about this. I thought, he sent them away to buy food. Now, here is the guy who fed 5,000 people. Don't you think he could rustle up a few ham sandwiches for the boys? <laughs> well, actually not ham, they were Jewish, but you know. I'm... 
you know, bagels and locks, whatever, you know? Don't you think, come on. Very key, God doesn't do miracles when you can do it yourself. God doesn't do miracles when you can do it yourself. So many of us trying to get God into our regular life, <laughs> try, try to make God our servant for stuff we can do ourselves. Have you ever listened to your prayers? Have you ever, ever listened to my prayers? I hope you haven't. Uh, but I do the same thing. You know, God, give me this. That's something I can do myself. He's not, he's not, God doesn't raise lazy children. He's not going to make you lazy. Oh, God, get me a job. You know, if you listen to that long enough, you'll, you'll listen to this. Get the one ads and get off the couch. That's what you'll hear. Oh, God, teach me about you. I just want to know about you. Try reading the Bible for crying out loud. You, pray, you know, probably one of the most often prayed prayers today. Lord, help me lose weight. You pray that long enough, you're going to hear this. Stop biggie-sizing everything. You know, biggie-size doesn't just refer to the portion of food that you get. That'll take a while to catch on. The point is, when we could do it ourselves, Jesus let us do it ourselves. So pray for stuff you can't possibly do. That's the stuff we pray for. And do the rest yourself. He sent them off for food because that's what they could do. Now look what happens. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. A little bit more background. For 450 years, this race of people had grown into, into ones that, that were in high disrepute of the Jews because they claimed the same heritage. This whole area was populated by the Assyrians. And they came in and they claimed that Jacob was their father then because they were in his area. And, and, and they didn't use uh, uh, the whole Bible or the whole Old Testament as the Jews used. They only used the Pentateuch. And, they, and they, they figured they had their own worship area, Mount Gerizim, which was in competition with Jerusalem. And so there was this thing, you know, between Jews and Samaritans. And Jews were saying, you're not the real deal for crying out loud. So anyhow, so that's the background. Jesus said and answer, answered and said to her. See, he's not going to go there. Because he wants, to, he wants to dwell on what they have in common. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, Uh, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Then the woman said to her, sir, give me this water. 
So I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Now let's stop right there and let me give you a little bit of of just some more information here. First of all, um, I want you to, to understand that Jesus used whatever was going on at that time as his springboard. In some ways, the worship we have had tonight is a very appropriate worship. Because it's not unusual for God to bring the whole kingdom into somebody's specific need niche that they just had that night. That's how God does things sometimes. I wasn't surprised when Judy tonight said, let's sing Lord of the Dance. You know why? Because Judy loves to dance. Judy has a ministry of dance. And so in a way, when we all sing Lord of the Dance... Judy says, yeah, yeah, because that's who I am. That's not just what I do. That's my ministry. See? And so when Jesus said, let's talk about water, the woman was saying, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. See, I have a hunch that when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, the wind was blowing. And so Jesus said, you know what? The Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. It just keeps moving. I think that they were both experiencing that then. And the wind was blowing uh, that night. And so he compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. Now he compares the Holy Spirit to the water because that's what they're talking about. Later on, he says, I have, you, the, the, people, the, the disciples come back with food. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know of. See, he uses whatever is going on in your life to speak to you. And to show you something bigger. Now, what was he talking about? Well, the woman thought it was about physical water. The woman thought that she would never get thirsty again physically. Now, if that's true, Paul wouldn't have written what he wrote in Philippians 4, 12. Was that Debbie Legrand that was up here? I didn't, my eyes aren't working just right. But I think Debbie came for it. Was that you, Debbie? Okay. Debbie came and and read that. And and remember what that says? says, I, I, I've, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And, and then it goes on to say, I've learned how to um, be filled and to go hungry. I, I've learned how to be, to be filled and suffer, uh, to have an abundance and suffer need. So there are times in life when you're going to go hungry. There are times in life when you're going to suffer need. But yet, there's a spiritual thing where... It doesn't matter because you're content anyhow. You have this satisfaction that's not a physical satisfaction. And so the Lord said, you know what? You can have that. I want to give that to you. And even though she didn't catch it right up at the front, still that's what he was offering. And he did his contextual teaching. Now read on with me. Now that she says she wants it, he lays out a requirement. He said, you know, if you want this, we're going to have to get personal. And so he looks at her and he says, go and call your husband and come here. Now up to here, if you count her responses in in either Greek or Syriac, The first one, I think, is 11 words. The second one is 13 words. The third one is is 24 words. And this is three words. In the original language, I have no husband. 
And that's all she says. Now, she doesn't lie, but that's all she says. He has just touched her where her heart is, where her heart's broken, where she's embarrassed. But he won't leave it there because he wants her to have an intimacy with him that can only come from truth. And so he goes on and he says, by the Spirit, Jesus said, I said, just said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, <laughs> let's talk about this woman for a while who had five husbands and is now living with somebody who's not her husband. You know, in the most charitable circumstances, it still doesn't come out good. You can say, well, okay, best read on this thing is she got married five times and they all died unexpectedly. That's the best read you can give it. Um, um, but it's still, you know, there's still bad news in there. Somebody sent me an email this, this week about people who had applied for jobs and actual stuff of their resume, off their resume. And this one woman had written a note at the bottom of her resume and said, please don't misconstrue the fact that I've had 14 jobs um, she said, I am not a job hopper. I've never been, f- I've ne- I'm sorry, I've never resigned from any job I've had. Now, that's, you know, good news, bad news. You know, you just, you don't come out right in that. And so here's this woman who has this horrible record with men. But yet, she's the one who would be the door for all of Samaria. She's the one that Jesus went to. And Jesus said to her, you're right. The one you're living with right now is not your husband. And what he was saying to her was this. Living in God is not private, but it is personal. And if you really want what I have to offer you, you've got to bring that relationship here. And you've got to lay it in front of me. Some of you right now are living together. I don't know you, but I know in a congregation this size, there are some of you who are living together. And I know you've got every reason in the world to do that. I know that in your mind you have rationalized it and you said, this is the right thing to do. I want to tell you, no. If you want what God has for you, you've got to bring that relationship forth. And you've got to lay it in front of God. You've got to lay it in front of God. Because before you can have what God has for you, you've got to give up what you're clinging to to answer that which it can never answer. Those of you who are married, whoops, I thought he was just going to talk to the sinners. (laughs) Those of you who are married are under the same demand. Go bring your wife. Go bring your husband. You've got to bring your marriage relationship in front of me. Let me ask you men, are you really loving your wife? I mean, are you really laying down your life for her? Are you so treating her that every day she understands how precious she is 
not only to you but to God? Is that what she feels like when she's around you? Let me ask you women. Are you respecting your husband? Do you treat him with such deference that he is glad to take spiritual leadership because he knows that you will be glad and grateful for that leadership and that undergirding? You see, if that's not the case, before you can really have what Jesus has for you, you got to come and lay that before God. And you got to say, God, make me the person that you want me to be. I want to do what you want. This next step is very personal. But I don't want you to think it's unloving. Because I want you to see what he said next. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, (laughs) that was an understatement, wasn't it? Um... And that's quite the point. Although the Samaritans held prophets in higher esteem than the Jews did. Because the Samaritans, because they just dwelt on the Pentateuch and didn't didn't have uh, the other writings, uh, did not have the Messiah coming back as the king, they had the Messiah coming back as a prophet. And so it was higher on the spiritual level when a Samaritan said it. But she said this, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In other words, she's posing to him a theological question. Now, why is she doing that? (laughs) You know perfectly well why she's doing that. It just got uncomfortable, and she's trying to change the subject. You know what? (laughs) That is so normal. But it is so non-productive. When we start feeling persecuted, when we start feeling convicted, mostly what we do is try to get into religious arguments so that we don't have to be close or intimate or vulnerable. And that's exactly what they do. I remember when I was, when I was uh, um, uh, just starting off in ministry, I was at a small church in southern Indiana, and I just put the word out. You know, I just want to minister to anybody who needs ministry. Anybody got anybody who needs ministry, you give me a call night or day. And I used to get calls in the middle of the night by people who were drunk out of their minds. Now, I grew up in a family of alcoholics. There there were several alcoholics in my family. I should have known better than this. But I was young and inexperienced. And I want to tell you, nobody gets as remorseful or as argumentative as somebody who's drunk, nor as religious as somebody who's drunk. And they call you, Reverend, you know, 2.30, Reverend. Yeah, and I can tell right over the phone. I want to talk about God. And I'd say, and I, was, and I just, I wanted to work it through with them. And so I said, well, go ahead, you talk about God. I want to know why children suffer. I want to, I just tell me that. And then, they, and then they'd start to go, I, I may not be the best, but I've been a Methodist all my life. And I'm thinking, oh, good for the Methodists. I've been a Methodist all my life. My uncle was a preacher, you know. People always pull out clerical credentials. You know, my uncle was a preacher, you know. And I was so stupid that I would talk with them for hours on the phone. Sometimes I'd finally get them down. I'd say, come down to the church, let's pray. They'd come down to the church. I'd take them down the altar. They'd accept Christ. You know, I'd say, oh, glory, another soul is saved. See them two days later in the store. They wouldn't remember a thing. Made me so mad, I wanted to go out and get drunk. 
The point is that most people, when they're backed into a corner, want to argue about religious stuff. And that's exactly what she was doing. She was saying, don't be telling me stuff that makes me uncomfortable. Let's, let's, who do you think is right, Presbyterians or Catholics? You know? What, who, 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 what, do you think, what do you think about God? And if he's so good, then why does all this? She wants to talk about religion. He doesn't go there, does he? Watch what he does. Look what he does. This is so precious. He says this. Woman. Now he's not arguing with her. Remember what he called his mother? Woman. It's a term of endearment. Woman. Believe me. That's in the present tense, by the way. It means keep on believing in me. Stay with me here, he's saying. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Now, oh, well, let me, let me just read some more here. You worship that which you, did, which you do not know. In other words, you've, you've, you've limited yourself. To, to a particular uh, part of the Bible so that you don't have the fullest picture. We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. That doesn't mean belonging to, but coming out of. He is starting to, 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 to prepare her that this Jew is the one that has come out of the Jews and this Jew is the one of salvation. Then he says this, but an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father, or he says it again, in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now I want you to see two things here. First of all, I want you to see the attitude with which he goes to her. I want you to know that the word that he uses for worship is a tender word. It means literally touch with kisses. Those who worship God, those who touch him with kisses. It's not about where you worship, he says. That's not the issue. It's about what's inside of you. It's about what you get filled up with when you worship. And this is what he was saying. You know, you were not meant to be left time after time by those you love. You were meant for a love who would stay with you and be anywhere you are. That's what you were made for. You were not made for a love that would make you feel dirty. You were made for a love that would make you pure. And God is that love. And this is also what he was saying. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit because he is, and, and in, in, the, in the text it would be a particular spirit. You know, when people say, I'm very spiritual, I don't know what that means. That, that means like, so, so if, that'd be the same thing to me if somebody said, I'm, I'm married in a general sense. What do you mean? You know, that... There is a, there's a definition of spirituality that is a Greek definition that says, I'm not materialistic. I am not one who cares a lot for the physical world. But that doesn't mean that you worship the God who is. 
the only God who is. You see, one of the things that started out this conversation was a very argumentative woman who said, do you mean to tell me you're greater than our father Jacob? Are you, do you really have the gall to stand there and tell me you've got water that's better than this well water and you're above our ancestors? Have you ever been intimidated like that? Have you ever had somebody say to me, you mean that you Christians are so arrogant. Do you mean to tell me that you are the only ones who knew, know who God is? That out of all the religions in the world, you're the only ones who have the truth. And when they say that, just as this woman, they are fully expecting you to say, oh, well, I didn't mean that. You know what his answer was? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Thanks for cutting to the chase. There is a particular God. He is the only God. And I'm about to tell you how to get to him. And that's what I, I just came to welcome you. Didn't came to ar- come to argue with you. Came to welcome you. He doesn't back down for a minute. God is the spirit. And those who worship him must worship with their spirit and the truth. You can worship lies all day long to make you feel better, but it doesn't do you better. If you're going to worship, you've got to worship what is the truth. Now look at what else he says. It says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this later on, because in the Gospel of John, there are several places, there are several I am passages. But I just want to tell you right now that when he declares this, he is using the terminology, the only terminology in all of the Old Testament that God uses to identify himself. He is absolutely declaring himself to be God. Don't ever let anybody tell you Jesus never said he was God. He most certainly did. That's one of the things that got him crucified. And he said it again and again and again and again. He is therefore either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. You have no other choices here. It says this, and at this point his disciples came. He just makes this pronouncement and God providentially brings back his disciples. And they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? You know why it was such a surprise to him? It was so outrageous for a rabbi to speak to a woman. A rabbi back in that day was forbidden to speak to a woman in public, even if that woman was his wife or his sister's. There was a rabbinical saying, better that the law be burned than given to a woman. And that's why this is so huge. That Jesus would teach, would, would, would talk to a woman as an equal and would consider her an equal and would use her as the door for the entire nation of Samaria. They couldn't, they couldn't fathom it. They couldn't even get it through their heads. They said, well, this is so crazy, I'm not even going to address it. Now, now look at what happens. It says, it says, uh, um, 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 um. oh, so verse 28. So the woman left her water pot. That, by the way, is intentional. 
Some, some, some people think that, that was so, she was so harebrained, she was so excited that she went off. The, the same word uh, that, that, they, that they used for, uh, and he left Judea, um, um, is, is, is used here, she left her water pot. He didn't leave Judea because he forgot about it. He left Judea intentionally because he had the next realm of his ministry to do. She left the water pot intentionally for him because she had the next realm of ministry to do. She left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? Now I want you to see the similarities to the words that Christ used uh, uh, in chapter 139 to invite John and Andrew to come. Come see. Come and you will see, he said. And that's what she's saying. And she's using a question to get them interested, just like Jesus used a question to get her interested. And they said, and, and they went out of the city and they were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus said to him, said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Remember what he said um, um, to, to the devil. In the, in, the, in the temptation in the uh, desert. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we speak the gospel, there is a satisfaction there that is literally filling. I mean, it literally replaces many of the things we think we need. And so he says, and that's what was happening to him. Where he said, I'm not hungry. This is too exciting. Verse 33. Now the disciples, therefore, were saying to one another... No one brought him anything to eat, did they? <laughs> they were just, just not looking. In verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet no no now when he says this, I want you to, I want you to see. I, I can even picture this. They they may have their their um, backs to the town of, of Sychar. And and Jesus may be facing the town. But at this point, there's a whole bunch of people all wearing white. Because that's what they wore back then. They're all wearing white and they're coming to Jesus. Now, look at what he says. He says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. He's talking about people here. They are white for harvest. Already he who weeps is, reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, that he, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you entered into their labor. So what he's saying to this very, very briefly is this. Always be ready to share the gospel. Always be ready to, to invite people into the kingdom. There is many times not a long process between what you think people are going to need and what they actually need. Because God is doing the sowing. You don't always do the sowing and then the reaping. As a matter of fact, most of when we reap, other people have sown. And so don't think there's going to be some big long process all the time because many times people are ready right then. Last Monday, last Monday night, we were just sitting in the green room and somebody knocks on the door 
And, and, they, and they opened it up. And they looked at me and said, I'd like to see you. And I didn't know the person. And I said, what do you want to talk to me about? He said, I don't know how to get God in my life. I want God in my life. So I just went out in the hallway. And in one minute, he had given his life to Christ. I questioned him as to what he, if he really understood what he was doing. He absolutely understood what he was doing. Never saw the guy before in my life. Somebody else had sown, I reaped. And so that's what you've got to be aware of. You've got to be, you always got to be ready. Okay, now, the last uh, three verses or four verses. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Some of you, by the way, feel very inadequate to speak the gospel. I want you to know this was the Samaritan version of white trash. This woman had probably one of the lowest reputations in the town. But when she heard from God, she had to spread the word. I want you to know it's not about who you are. That's not where the power comes from. It's the truth that you have to say. That's where the power comes from. And it has an effect because it's true. And because God's witness is there. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. I've got one more story. And then, and then I, wanna, I want uh, somebody to maybe pick out a last song. I think that's what we're doing. And, and uh, and if, if something I've said tonight remi- has reminded you of a song, um, I, want you to, I want you to raise your hand just, in just a moment after I pray. Um, this whole scripture says this, that we can have a tremendous impact if we will look to God to interrupt what we thought we were going to do. The woman that day was just going out for water. She was surprised by God. The people that day were just going about business in the town. By the way, I find it very curious that they heard the word of God, not from his disciples, but from the woman. But they were in this town. They were doing business as usual, and they were interrupted in their everyday life. Most of us never look for God because we never expect to hear from him. As a matter of fact, we don't usually hear from him until he smacks us with a two-by-four. Don't make him do that. He is there. He is available. He's giving you signals all day long. One day, uh, not too long ago, I read a story about a guy. Ten years ago, this happened. He had just bought a new Black XKE. Anybody know what an XKE is? It's a Jaguar. Long, sleek, 12-cylinder. Man, he just had it two weeks. And he's riding through this neighborhood, running, to, going to work. But he's on his way to do stuff. And he's trying to go slow in case any kids are around. And, but he doesn't see any kids. And so he's just kind of cruising through. And he hears this tremendous smack on his new car. Man, he stopped he wheeled that XKE back. He saw this little kid standing there all frightened. He got out, and there was this huge dent in his car and this piece of brick laying on the ground. And he said, did you throw that? And the kid, 
went like that. And he just grabbed that kid. He said, what do you think you're doing? I can't believe you did that. Why did you do that? He's ready to smack this kid. And the kid was just crying. And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, but my brother, and he pointed over, and this, this guy had fallen out of a wheelchair off the curb. And he was just laying in the street. And he said, my brother has just been laying there and nobody will stop to pick him up. I keep shouting and nobody will stop. I'm so sorry, but I wanted somebody to pick him up. And the guy's just choking, you know. And he goes over and he sets the guy upright and he takes out his hanky. And he tries to scrape some of the, some of the cinders off of him. And he puts him back up on the walk. And the little boy takes off with his brother. He had a very long walk back to the ski. A long walk. But I want you to know this. He never got the dent fixed. Never got it fixed. Because he didn't ever want for God to have to hit him with a brick again before he noticed God or the needs of the people around him. Pray with me. God, help us to be alert enough, sensitive enough that you don't have to hit us with a brick or a two before. Thank you that you all day long are sending us signals. All day long we are available, or you are available to talk with us. To use that which we do every day in our regular life, not in the church, not in the temple, in our everyday life to relate the gospel to us. Lord, teach us as we go along. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.